Welcome to Swansea Cyber Law and Security Podcast. I'm Sarah Kuchaya, a doctoral researcher at Swansea University. I'm Patrick Bishop. I'm a senior lecturer at the School of Law, also at Swansea University. And I'm Harold Thumbelby, Professor of Computer Science and Sea Change Fellow in Digital Health. Fantastic. So we've got um, Harold with us today to celebrate our 10th episode. (laughs) So we are 10 and we are one at the same time. So we've got 10 episodes and we are, we've been doing this for a year as of October um, 2018. So uh, we have a special episode and we've got a prof with us today (laughs) to to celebrate. I was saying to Sarah earlier, we've had, this is the fourth or fifth guest. Yes. Contributor, but they've all been PhD students. Uh-huh. So we've got we've had people at the start of their academic journey. I'm not saying you're at the end of yours. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of life left in you, but someone at the other end of the, the spectrum. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I've got a very long introduction here for Prof. Thimbleby. So he's a Sea Change uh, Digital Health Fellow at Swansea University, and um, also an honorary fellow of the Royal College of Physicians, a fellow of the Royal College. I've said that again. No. So the College of Physicians, is there two of them? There are three, Three actually. of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I'd like to be a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians, Glasgow. Uh-huh. But, that's... Okay. So... <laughs> but there's, there's the Royal College of Physicians, which is based in London and is sort of the big one. And there's a the Royal College of Physicians in Edinburgh. And uh, I wouldn't like to get into it, but they're probably quite competitive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there's the Royal College of Physicians in Glasgow. Definitely Edinburgh and Glasgow are definitely competitive. Oh, as you would expect. <laughs> And you're also an honorary fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. Mm -hmm. The main thing is it's free being an honorary fellow. Okay, okay. So, uh, So, fellows of most things you have to pay like 100 quid a year or something to do. So, any aspiring researchers, academics listening to us uh, should be taking notes. Um, So, uh, you've you've done a lot of work Mm -hmm. um, on designing digital technologies, thinking about the designing of digital technology. So one of the stories that we have today is um, a new policy paper that's been published by the UK government about bringing the NHS into the future technology-wise. So we'll be talking about that. And we'll also be talking about the new Johnny English film, which is... Uh, <laughs> the future. <laughs> yeah, which centres around cyber attacks. So we'll, we'll have a, a chat about which of those hacks that are featured in the film may or may not actually be realistic. But, I mean, we haven't done a podcast for a while, so quite a lot has happened since our last podcast recording. So we, we had a lot of stories to, to choose from. But I think this one is perhaps a slightly more positive story. It's a story mm. about, you know, something... Uh, IT is a force for good. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, yeah. It, it's, it's a hopeful mm-hmm. story that's hopeful for, for a better future. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the, a few of the things that have happened. So we had Bristol Airport. Uh, there's this massive ransomware that, that it was hit by and lots of people couldn't travel and lots of weights and things like that. There was also a story, a major story about Edinburgh University in during freshers week which i mean (laughs) anyone in universities knows that freshers week so the week when the new students arrive is this strange organized chaos Mm. Uh, so in addition to all that edinburgh university uh the website went down as a result of of a major cyber attack so that that was and i was just just looking on my iphone it's already dropped off the news but earlier today cathay pacific had a huge breach yeah. two million passenger details yeah 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 well the the really big breach that happened in the past month well that we've known about anyway was was facebook mm-hmm. um they they got hacked at the end of september initially they said maybe 50 million users had been affected um, and now it's down to 30 million so that that was pretty big pretty big news I love the way all these organisations say, you know, no credit cards were used, or, mm. or, or with Cathay Pacific, they said no passport details. Mm. But how do they know? <laughs> Similar story as well with the Morrison uh, yeah. issue. I mean, it happened a while ago, but now it's in court yeah. as to whether they're liable potentially for millions of pounds for the staff that had their privacy potentially interfered yeah. with by the publication of their details. Yeah. And yeah. that was the same excuse, but nothing to see here because no one lost any. Well, no one suffered any financial harm. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the... When, when the NHS had the WannaCry attack, mm-hmm. uh, 
lots of things went wrong. Operations and appointments were cancelled. But the Department of Health said nobody was harmed. Well, again, how do they know? And the systems used for reporting preventable errors and harms are computer systems. (laughs) (laughs) So if they're not working, you probably don't think anything is going wrong. It's it's really complicated. Something we talked about in our... uh, in, well, in our more recent seminar, I, I, um, I do some of the seminars for Patrick's undergraduate cybercrime module, and we were talking about the Computer Misuse Act. And there's this the section, uh, section 3ZA, which is supposed to deal with these big infrastructure attacks. Uh, attacks. And, and we were discussing to what extent the WannaCry, uh, you know, if whoever is responsible was caught and could be brought to justice in the UK, potentially they could be prosecuted under this um, uh, offence, which is a pretty serious offence, is 14 years to life. Um, uh, but the key thing is that it's an offence to create the risk of serious damage to human life, such as illness, death, whatever. But it's about the creating the risk. So it doesn't really matter whether somebody died or somebody got worse because a, an operation was cancelled. Yeah. If the attack creates the risk, that's enough. You know, if we knew who did it and if we could prosecute them, it would be enough to prosecute them under that offence. Mm. So, the level of actual harm, as opposed to the risk, would be important at the sentencing stage. Right. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, the person who discreted the risk might be guilty of the offence, but they would be sentenced less harshly than someone who actually mm-hmm. caused harm to human health, etc. Yeah. And then they might, as you said, the maximum sentence for that particular variant is life imprisonment. Mm-hmm. And it's not totally clear how to apportion the blame amongst the various players. Like, mm. I mean, it is very difficult to do this. The hospitals hadn't uh, kept their software up to date. The hospital hadn't ca- kept track of what software they had in order to keep it up to date. Microsoft had not provided free upgrades to the software. Microsoft wrote the software in the first place, which had the bugs in it, which were later exported, so it's Microsoft's fault. Uh, but the NSA discovered the vulnerabilities, and they sort of kept it ready for, presumably, the United States, you know, whatever purposes the United States might want to use in taking over an MRI scanner. But that, that, was, that, that was there. And then the NSA leaked the vulnerability, and somebody as it were, weaponized it, turned the vulnerability into a kit. And, I mean, I've lost track of the details now, but a teenager, 10-year-old, could have converted the kit into WannaCry because it had been made easy to do. All you just need to do is think of a name for it and it works. Mm-hmm. So if you find the teenager, they're, they're just sort of caught up in a big mess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in terms of... Because it may not be law, it, might, it, it, it might be North Korea or something it, sinister, but chances yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or according to Trump, the 400 pound person in their bedroom or whatever they well, The one to cry attack looked, looked like the person was really out of their depth because oh. they had asked for whatever it was, 50 bitcoins, and they'd more or less brought down the entire world and they hadn't realised they were going to have every nation's you know, GCHQ after them. Right. You know, this is not the time to ask for 50 quid. No. <laughs> I think in terms of. of English law, even though you, there's an element of maybe moral blame or culpability on those other parties, it would be the person who launched the WannaCry, if it was a person, who would be responsible. But it's interesting, a lot of, well not a lot, but there's a, a famous cybercrime scholar in the States called Susan Brenner, and she talks about law enforcement in cyberspace. And it's her argument, you can't rely on traditional notions of criminal liability any longer, because they just don't work in cyberspace. Mm. So she argues mm. that you need to create sort of ancillary offences, so the offence of not keeping your security up to date, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to encourage people to do that, to try and prevent crime in that way, because the old-fashioned, you know, mm. deter, deter the individual doesn't work yeah. really well yeah. in cyberspace. I mean, you're, you know more about this than I do, but presumably if I go to bed with my front door open and somebody comes in and steals my whatever they steal... Mm. Uh, it wouldn't affect the criminal liability of the person who stole it, but it might very well affect your insurance claim <laughs> if you did that. Um, but she actually makes a similar point where we don't do this in traditional mm. crime. We don't blame the, the victim, as it were, in traditional crime, no matter how negligent they've been. But cyber crime is qualitatively different. Well, uh, the NHS, uh, I'm sort of choosing my words sort of, Briefly, the NHS allowed the cyber attack to occur, and the cyber attack was successful. Uh, 
there are two things I think that should have been done. One is the NHS should have had a lot more money and wisdom to, you know, it's like leaving your front door open. Mm. They left the front door open. Yeah. They should have kept track of which doors are open and shut and what version software they're running and they should have kept... So they, they need a lot more resources to do that. I'm not saying it's sort of their fault. It's actually extremely difficult to do that. Yeah. But equally, when they bought software, yeah. they should have had a contract that says, if you don't give us the upgrades, you're screwed. Mm. Like, if my door just sort of swings, my front door just sort of swings open and a thief walks in, you know, I go and sue the person who installed yeah. the door because the door's sort of, you know, mm-hmm. oh, and obviously doors are supposed to swing open, but <laughs> when, I, when, I, when yeah. I shut it, it should stay it's shut. Yeah. 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 And yeah. the NHS, I think, has got a right to think, we bought an MRI scanner, it's an MRI scanner, it's not a vector for a cyber attack. Mm-hmm. And there's a week, and the, 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 the contracts they had presumably didn't let them sort of track that down and pin some of the restitution on the people who supplied mm-hmm. the systems or Microsoft who mm-hmm. supplied the systems to the MRI builders or, you know, it's, it's, you know, there are 15 suppliers in the supply chain, but somewhere nobody says those suppliers are responsible for the quality of the stuff you're delivering. Mm-hmm. One of our, of our colleagues here, uh, uh, Pedro, uh, Dr. Pedro Tells, he, he actually has written about uh, this in the context of austerity in Spain, um, they've changed some of the uh, the way they procure um, IT systems and other things so that it works a bit more like a license. Mm-hmm. So instead of buying a system, you're buying the system and the service that comes with it for a period of time. I don't know whether that might be slightly a slightly better way of ensuring that you know I'd... if you're buying something that it's then patched. For the for, for the at least the expected duration of that, um, I think they've got contract. to think very carefully about this. There's a lot of stuff where uh, I'm happy to be a consumer. I've got an iPhone and I don't mind. Well, I suppose it'd be nice if I didn't have to pay for it. But you, every year you think, oh, it's a new iPhone and there's new software, and you you end up with subscriptions and Netflix you pay and so on. It's all subscriptions and that's fine. There are lots of things in the world which are products. If you buy a camera, you expect it to work pretty much forever. Mm. But actually inside, it's just like an iPhone. Yeah. It's got software in it, and Canon or Nikon or whatever it is can upgrade the software. They can have vulnerabilities that they forget about. Mm-hmm. I've got a washing machine. Why should I have to treat it like a subscription service mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. software? Mm-hmm. I bought a washing machine. It should work mm-hmm. like a washing machine. If you're the NHS, you mm-hmm. buy, on the one hand, stuff like Microsoft Word, which... Yeah, we've all agreed you you end up paying a subscription for. If you buy an MRI scanner, mm. you've got a washing machine and you don't expect to have to pay money no. every year yeah. to keep it up to date. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the fact that the, the people who built the, the MRI scanner have ended up putting PCs inside it and all sorts of things and there's stuff more complicated than Microsoft, Microsoft Word inside it that needs a subscription in some sense. There is a business model that wants to make money, so mm. that's going to happen. But to think through this carefully balancing the business model for the manufacturers and you've got Microsoft and the people who screwed the things together and everything else. You've got all of those people and on the other hand the NHS has bought a, a thing like a washing machine and it's delivering a service like cleaning stuff or doing MRI scans or x-rays or whatever it's doing and uh, there's a conflict between those two things which you lawyers ought to sort out with appropriate <laughs> appropriate contracts yeah, and, and the procurement yeah. process when you decide whether to buy MRI scanner A or MRI scanner B which one has got the better contract? Mm-hmm. You know, which has got a service contract? Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because you you often think of it on the an imbalance of power in the normal context. You know, you can't individually negotiate the contract with Microsoft or, well, I, or the NHS or, is one of the biggest organisations in the that's world. That's the point I was making. So you usually express this terms in well, you, there's nothing we can do because if you want that iPhone, you accept their terms and conditions. But given the NHS is is the second biggest employer, state employer after the Indian Railway or something like that, <laughs> um, then you know they should have that bargaining power. So mm-hmm. this seems to be a, a, a you know a fairly high level failure somewhere that they didn't foresee these things. Of course, hindsight is always a wonderful thing, but well, the question is now. Now we've got the hindsight of using it. Mm-hmm. It's now foresight, and we ought to be using yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So this is a very nice segue into mm-hmm. our first topic, mm-hmm. actually. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government has got a new vision for technology in the NHS. Uh, this was there's a new policy paper that was published just last last week on 17th of October, and it outlines this vision for the role of technology in healthcare. 
and attached to it there's a, a set of draft standards, text standards, which um, the government is hoping will be built on to underpin this vision. We've got four guiding principles and we've got four architectural principles and in in true policy paper style we also have four priorities. I often wonder, you know, what comes first, you know, to decide on the number and then make sure that uh, you've got the same number of each well, That would explain section. why the fourth one's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was a bit suspicious of, of nice wrong numbers. <laughs> yeah. Or, or everything starts with P. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so someone said to me over there, I'd be more, I'd be more inclined to believe Moses brought the Ten Commandments down. If there was eight or eleven or nine, why did it have to be a nice round ten? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, there's lots of odd numbers in in the scriptures. Okay. You know, seven is a big one. And that's yeah, not oh, okay. a round number. Anyway, uh, we, di- we digress. I, I, I saw a cartoon of Moses coming down a mountain carrying three. Whoops! Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's one of the Monty Python films. Isn't it? So who knows that they're missing yeah. five commandments? Ah, yeah. uh, dear. So, anyway, our Secretary of State for Health and Social Care tweeted... Well, you say our, the uh, Secretary of State for Health in England. Obviously, in Wales, it's a a devolved matter. Yes, yes. I mean, I think our audience is UK-wide, I'd like to think. Worldwide, I'd like to think. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it is true that uh, this, this vision and these standards, they pertain to NHS England. So, um... In, in the UK, we have some devolved ad- administrations and Wales is a devolved administration within which healthcare is devolved. It's a devolved power. So, so the Welsh government has power over uh, health policy. But nonetheless, uh, this is likely to set the... the well, since we've mentioned England and Wales and we could mention Northern Ireland and Scotland and while we're at it, yes. there's Europe and Ireland and mm. you know, Holland and Gibraltar, <laughs> you name it. Uh, diseases do not respect borders. True. <laughs> uh, diseases are not going to affect, as I've said this the wrong way around, Brexit is not going to affect diseases. Yeah. Why on earth we have English NHS digital and Welsh NWIS and Scottish, mm-hmm. whatever, and, you know, mm-hmm. Scottish NHS digital, whatever it is. Uh, if you live on a border, you, know, you go to your GP in one place and go to hospital in the other place. It's, and it's bad enough without worrying about national borders. Mm-hmm. I think it's bonkers. And mm-hmm. part of this document is about interoperability. Yeah. Uh, and if you can't get two countries to talk together, you've got an interoperability problem at that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not something I know uh, a lot about, but I, uh, it's always struck me. I, I'm actually a European citizen. Um, so am I. Well, OK, sorry. My apologies. <laughs> As of March 29, I will remain a European citizen. <laughs> um, you won't be laughing when you're <laughs> Steady on, steady on. Um, I feel like the UK government has spent so much money on me and it makes no sense to throw me out now. But, you know, you know, if that's the case, it, it's, it's, I feel like I've, I'm the one who gained in this, in this equation. So there we are. Um, anyway, uh, moving from one uh, European country to another, even within Europe, in terms of health, it's clear to me that there's absolutely no communication. So I don't know if they, I haven't looked into this in any detail, but I'm I'm guessing that there are some protocols for sharing information and maybe patient information. Maybe maybe they don't exist at all because I I guess in the UK, uh, we're lucky that the NHS is free at the point of access as well. So Mm -hmm. say even the European health card, which in many European countries you have to have in order to access healthcare in the UK, it's pointless having one. I mean, you have mm, to have yeah. it for other reasons, but actually, in the day-to-day life, you don't you don't really need it. So I'm pretty sure that my medical history has never travelled across any borders. <laughs> um, well, your medical card is really an identity thing, mm-hmm. and it's to sort out who's going to pay for things. The medical information, like your blood group or whether you've got hepatitis or something, mm-hmm. that's nothing to do with your medical card. That's stored on databases. Yeah. And the problem is it's stored on... I was. I almost said stored on fifteen databases. I wish it was. It's probably only stored on one and doesn't talk to the other fourteen. Yeah. And a very simple example. I had some blood tests when I was an inpatient in hospital. It's all right. Go and see my GP, and he can't access them. And he's only like two miles from the hospital. They use different computer systems that don't talk to each other, and he needs a paper letter from my consultant. Like. <laughs> 
not even an email. It's yeah, going to be a yeah. paper letter. It's just like that is a failure of interoperability. The, this document from Matt Hancock, uh, clearly we ought to sort that thing out. And any attempt to do that is to be applauded. Yeah. So in terms of the, the priorities that the government sets out, uh, one of the things that I, I was wondering what your thoughts are before actually we get to the priorities, the, the architectural principles, one of the things that it talks about is this idea of a public cloud first. So is that part of that same idea? If, if the information is stored in the cloud, then it can be accessed from different places? Because that seemed to me to be in a tension between that and in other places in the strategy. They talked about the data being created locally. Um, I was very confused by... Sorry whether we had we're going to have the, all the data in one place or whether the data would be would stay where it's been created which seemed to okay. seem to um, be saying hmm. i'm mystified i know what a cloud is and yeah. i know what a database is and so on um huh. uh, cloud's a way of making money from data you have people yeah. who are cloud services who provide clouds and you pay for using their storage and that's a completely different question than how you manage the data and where you keep it and mm -hmm. do you replicate it in case you know, there's a fire in one hospital and you want to get the data from another hospital. You, might, yeah. you want to distribute the data around. Whether you use a cloud is another question and I would have thought for this sort of high-level document it shows some confusion. Okay, right. Because um, if you go onto Amazon or Google or whatever, mm -hmm. yeah, it's cloud, but that's, that's because they make money out of clouds. And the NHS should be about providing a service, not about using expensive ways of managing data. Mm -hmm. And I mean, some clouds may work well, and may, some may not. It's, it's sort of like saying we need to use transport, really exciting transport. But <laughs> do you mean a horse or a bicycle or an aeroplane? You know, there are lots of different ways of doing it. Um, yeah. Some of them, um, well, Canals would be a stupid way of running the NHS, yeah. but yeah. ambulances want to run on the road. So ambulances, you know, that, that's, sort of, that's one sort of transport. They're a good idea. So saying cloud is like saying it's not quite like saying transport, but it's it could mean anything. And some of the things it might mean aren't very helpful. Not very good. <laughs> so what, what do you think are the main takeaways from the strategy? What what is I think it's a very good first pass, and they ought to spend a year polishing it. So they talk about user needs, which sounds like a good idea, but which users do you mean? And if you don't know which users you're working for, you'll end up with a system that doesn't work for anyone in particular. And if you talk to paediatricians or oncologists or physiotherapists or nurse, nurses, you'll get 15 different answers to that question. One of the reasons why there's very little interoperability is that, if you like, everybody ends up with their own solutions. You know, radiographers do computers this way, mm. oncologists do computers this way, phlebotomists do computers this way, you, you name it. Um, everybody has their own solution, and none of them talk to each other. Well, that's an exaggeration. I expect two mm. of them talk to each other, but because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, everybody's doing what they want. The world's a mess, so I'm going to sort out how to do my patch. Yeah. And my patch then doesn't talk to anybody else. No, the hospital's probably doing a great job. My GP's doing a great job, but they don't talk to each other. So listening to GPs or listening to the hospital won't help you. You've got to bang their heads together first. <laughs> so uh, I think alignment's a good idea. Just listening to a user doesn't mean you get the right answer. Some of those users have got to change what they do to be compatible with other users. Mm -hmm. And then you end up with interoperability. Yeah. You can't get interoperability unless there's a sort of standard on what everybody wants. And you then got to think, that's going to take like 10 years to happen. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. What is our strategy for improving over the next 10 years? Because some of the time, uh, you know, we're going to have to replace our MRI scanners before we have sorted out interoperability. What's our strategy? I mean, that's, I don't know, that's a tricky problem. But we have got to replace the MRI scanners to get closer to interoperability rather than giving up on it. And when I read this document, it's full of encouraging people to innovate and uh, make, make regulation lighter and all these things that will speed things up. That is not a strategic thing that's going to move the world towards interoperability over, let's say, 10 years. 
and I may be being optimistic at 10 years, but if you don't set out to do something, it will never happen. Yeah. It's probably an example of political short-termism as well, isn't it? Politicians, because of the electoral cycle, want quick gains, or at least be seen to be making quick gains. And they tend not to be too concerned with things that might cause problems or pain now that might lead to better results in 10, 15 years in, in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's always the problem with this sort of political document. And there's often short-term thinking uh, yeah. rather than a long-term approach. And there's a lot of enthusiasm for digital. Yeah. And uh, in my consumer world, I love digital. You know, I want a new iPhone and mm. blah, blah, blah. There are lots of things I want. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean they're any good in a hospital. Yeah, yeah. And people aren't making that clear distinction. There are lots of clinicians in hospital that would love to use an iPad or whatever it is. And we completely understand that, but it's not clear that an iPad is an improvement for what the hospital is doing. For instance, as soon as you start using an iPad, if you drop it, it will stop working. If you get body fluids, it will stop working. If the battery goes flat, uh, it will have a cyber attack. Now, none of those things can happen to bits of paper. I'm sure iPads are better than bits of paper in some sense, but it's not completely obvious that rushing in with iPads is going to improve things. But in my little life as an individual, a better iPad will improve my life. And the five minutes when the battery's flat, I can have a cup of coffee and charge it up. It's not a big deal. But if I'm in the emergency department and the battery's flat, someone's going to die on me. Mm -hmm. So you've got to think very differently. When I read this government document, I think it's written by enthusiasts and not by people. There's a phrase, isn't there, evidence-based medicine. Mm -hmm. Where is the evidence and who's looking for the evidence? So I said iPad, because I mean, I happen to have an iPad, but I could have said Android, okay? Which is better in a hospital? I have absolutely no idea, and I bet nobody has any idea, because yeah. nobody's done the studies and so on. It would take a year to do it, and then the people who do the studies would complain that in a year's time everything would have changed, and sort of like, well, we need to sort that out, mm-hmm. not give up on it. Yeah, it seemed to me that the, the first bit, when they're talking about infrastructure, which is one of the headlines, um, for their priorities that seem to be dealing with what's there now and what needs to be improved mm-hmm. um, the the other uh, priorities the digital services and, and the bit about innovation uh, it, it did feel a bit more like like a, a business case for, for yeah. uh, but if, you which, can, if you want to develop a drug um, I can mix up a couple of chemicals in my kitchen I can make drugs Anybody can write a program. Mm. Children can write programs. It's easy, right? Easy to make drugs too. Virtually no drugs I make are going to have any use whatsoever clinically. And probably a lot of them would be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Right? And thanks to thalidomide, we all realise that. Yeah. And yeah. now if you want to make a drug, you've got to do it properly. Mm-hmm. Now my, my kitchen isn't hygienic enough to even start. Um, the RSPCA <laughs> will come around when I start doing the tests on rats and so on. You know, I, 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 there are regulations on how to dr- develop drugs. And then you do trials and you do placebos. And also, there's a whole mm-hmm. process. And it costs millions, if not billions, to develop a drug. Why don't we do any trials in digital? The whole of this document is digital is exciting. And I sort of agree, yes. You know, mm-hmm. I want a new iPad. But yeah. it's got to be more than exciting. It's got to be clinically effective. Mm-hmm. Patients have got to come out better. And when you think about you know, me as a consumer, every iPad I buy in a year's time, I'm going to have to buy another one. Yeah. That's a huge expense to the hospital. Is that expense worth it? Mm-hmm. And what, what, so yeah. if you buy an aspirin or whatever your favourite drug is, every time you give one to a patient, you're just paying for one and the patient presumably gets mm-hmm. better. Yeah. If you buy an iPad, first, mm-hmm. how much better does everything get? And the iPad costs, what, 1,000 quid. Mm-hmm. The next year it'll cost another 1,000 and so on, and you break them and everything else. So mm-hmm. they yeah. cost a lot. Yeah. And then you've got to train staff, you lose staff time. There are all sorts of interesting complexities. Well, you can, you can take the, 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 the pharmaceutical analogy even further because that's exactly what NICE or whatever they're called these mm. days. Mm. They look, well, there might be benefits to these drugs, but what are the costs? And they trade the two off. And they, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they say, well, this drug might work, but it's not cost effective. You can mm. apply exactly the same thinking to IT infrastructure mm-hmm. developments, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. you know, what are the benefits? But... I haven't read the document in as much detail as either of you have, but it seems to me from what you said, it's all about the benefits and sort of forgets about the potential costs or is not even willing to look at the well, think, costs. thinking about how to manage it, mm-hmm. like I said about interoperability, this is a 10-year problem and it needs 10-year thinking. Mm-hmm. 
that's not in this document. Regulation is a 10-year problem. Because, like, whatever, let's, let's say Harold could invent the perfect regulation for digital healthcare, and we have it tomorrow. Everybody's going out of business. You know, the, so, yeah, you need, you need a no, transition no, period. Yeah, yeah, how do you do that? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Aviation has figured out how to make safe aircraft software. And I would, tomorrow, I would impose all of the aviation software standards on hospitals. But nothing would work if we did that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got to have a way of improving, yeah. and recognising improvement is necessary. Yeah, yeah. So another thing that I, it just came to my mind now, um, in terms of big uh, IT infrastructure projects that aren't tested, uh, a very good example that's been in the news recently is the universal credit system, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very, you know, it was it, initially it was developed by a number of companies. I, I'm, I'm imagining they... They, they had contracts to develop a product um, and I imagine they, those contracts were fairly substantial and then it was taken in-house hmm. by DCMS and nobody is accountable for there's a, the investment in this system. There's a little insight. When, <laughs> let's call them politicians, whoever it is, they sit, people sit down and decide what they want to be computerised. Mm. I mean, the Northern Ireland border is going to be another example of this. Mm. People will sit around and talk about stuff and then give it to a computer to do. Computers, there are two things. They can only do what they're programmed to do. And the chances that the programmers really understand what you want from the Northern Ireland border, I mean, you know, Theresa May doesn't know what she wants yet. <laughs> so the chances <laughs> that anybody has a clue what they really want is nil. The chances that the programmers really understand it. And computers can only do... Fundamentally, they can only do logical things. And if what you want is not logical, it's mm. going to be stuffed. And whatever you think of the universal credit, if you had inconsistent, non-interoperable requirements and nobody bothered to sit down and work that out, you'll end up with a computer programme that can't work. Mm. And it was, it was never tested, this is the thing. Yeah, it's just... It, it's it, just there was no testing. It baffles me. Everybody... <laughs> I, repeatedly you have government IT failures mm. and university IT failures and hospital IT, but you name it um, and you've had Ariane spacecraft blowing up because of IT failures you know, it happens all the time mm. and yet everybody thinks, it's amazing it'll work tomorrow Well it's almost like a cognitive dissonance problem isn't it? it's almost the received wisdom well, the large scale IT projects run by the government well, don't work I think it's because there are these two worlds there's <laughs> me as a consumer and I, I'll keep talking about Apple as an example I watch Apple I'm Apple. beginning to suspect mm. you after a sponsorship deal from Apple <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm using Apple as a generic term for these purposes uh, I watch an Apple advert and go wow I want it it's wonderful mm. and Apple are a successful company because they persuade people they make amazing stuff and we all want it yeah yeah Oh, I've lost track of what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah. So we watch these Apple adverts or Samsung or whatever adverts. Technology is amazing. The reality is, it's incredibly complicated, and the chances that it works is very low. Mm-hmm. But politicians and funders and the people in the finance department just think it's amazing, and they rush into doing things mm-hmm. without due process. That's that's one of the big problems. Mm-hmm. You know, well, like, we, like children can do it, so it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> we were discussing an example before the podcast, and um, not that I've probably ever mentioned this before on the podcast, but I, for many years, taught land law, which in many ways is a very old-fashioned subject. But in 2002, there was a new act came in that was supposed to overhaul the entire system of conveyancing, buying and selling houses, and it was all based on e-conveyancing. At the time, if you put e in front of everything, it seemed all new, shiny and exciting. And that system was never brought in because they could never get the, the software. Say, they could never get it? the software <laughs> right to mm. deal with that problem. And now they're just shouted and no one ever talks about e-conveyancing so, yeah, any longer. Let, let me change my example. Uh, you look at something like Amazon and you think, wow, you know, it's an amazing, amazing thing. I want one. Mm. And the hospital decides to get um, patient records or something and does it like Amazon. The hospital will have one or two programmers. They've got 15 jobs to do. Mm. Amazon has easily got 100,000 programmers. They're all paid more than I am. And all they do is sell stuff. It's a really easy job Amazon have got. But you look at it, you know, the Amazon website, and you think this is a portal into magic. Mm. And somewhere along the lines, you forget that they're an enormous business. They make an enormous profit of, and so on. And they've got lots of highly skilled programmers. Mm. Uh, But... We think it's magic, and so why doesn't a part-time person in the 
know, when the receptionist can lock up a new sifter and to sort out <laughs> sort out yeah. the hospital. Um, there's a bit of fantasy in there. <laughs> there is a new. Uh, there is an advisory board that that is um, put forward on that document as well. Uh, so where where is the science? The the the, the chair is uh, Ben Goldacre, yeah. who's yeah. Uh, he's like a. He's a YouTube star as well, yeah, as well yeah. as a as a is he a, a, a biomedical engineer a, or something like that? He, um, he may well be a GP or an epidemiologist. Epidemiologist, I think that's it. Yeah, I, I remember that. Or he so. was a GP. I've heard him say he's prescribed things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so he, you know, they've yeah. picked someone who you know has a, a, a well, a reputation for for well, hope... scientific method. <laughs> Um, yeah, but you need uh, okay. This is not an easy problem, and you need more than one discipline mm-hmm. to think on these sorts of panels. And in particular, you need some decent computer scientists. Yeah, yeah. Like the distinction I made between looking at Amazon and being amazed by it, and looking at Amazon and realizing that's an awful lot of investment to get that to work at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To see through that, you need to have more than doctors saying we want it. Yeah. Mm. And here's another problem. Uh, I went to a World Health Organization meeting and uh, there was a, I don't actually remember who it was, but there was a company like Amazon who was saying this is amazing and and if you don't use this big data stuff, patients will die. And and I said, well, when a company like Amazon makes a mistake, they just ship you another one or they give you a refund. You know, it's not a big deal. If you make a mistake in a hospital, you can kill somebody. And doctors and nurses will lose their jobs and someone will commit suicide. Uh, this is the right word to use. It's shit when things go wrong in the hospital. It's awful. <clears throat> when things go wrong with Amazon, right, that means the way Amazon programs, despite the hundreds of thousands of highly qualified programmers, is not good enough to work in a hospital. Yeah, uh, and, I, and that brings me back to my and, thoughts about accountability as well. Uh, yeah, and this document <laughs> says let's make the regulation easier in mm-hmm. hospitals. And uh, if it was up to me, I'd make it tougher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> there's already a, too easy. There is, there is yeah. this tension mm. between the uh, standardising things and making sure things talk to each other and things are standardly safe across the NHS, and then this idea of bringing in innovators and. and mm. There's always going to be that tension, isn't it? Um, I, whether the, the 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 balance they get the balance right mm. Mm. between those two things, I guess, will remain to be seen. Mm. Yeah, I think the thing I noticed in this is it's very keen to make uh, frictionless and easy and uh, reduce the barriers to innovation and to have play bends and things. Very little in this was saying we want to improve patient outcomes. Mm-hmm. And if you lose sight of that, you lose sight of what the NHS mm-hmm. is about. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think it was mentioned at any point. Now thinking about it, they did talk about user needs in terms mm. of the user being well, the, the consumer of medical well, services. The NHS has got a economic problem that the people who you're doing it for aren't consumers. Mm-hmm. So I don't pay you more when I get a product, better yeah. product. You know, it's free at the point of service, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is fantastic and uh, it's amazing. Like if you compare it with America, it's something like I'm not sure what it is, but it's something like mm-hmm. half of all Americans who've got cancer have got no money after two years. Right? That's a not a nice place to live in. We have a fantastic system, but it also means that the financial incentives in our system don't always work to help the patient. Mm-hmm. And this document is really driven. To help the innovators, mm-hmm. you know, and they need help too, <laughs> but you need to sit yeah. down and work out mm-hmm. how to do it, mm-hmm. so that in the end, the patients benefit. I'm writing a book. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I said I'm a sea change fellow in digital health. Uh, main part of that is I'm writing a book which has a working title of Death by Design, Stories of Digital Healthcare, and it's going to change all of this thinking. The things I've sort of criticised this document for not seeing my book is all about and it I hope is going to lift the game and get everybody to think more clearly about digital healthcare mm-hmm. it's not just about excitement it's about curing people effectively without making mistakes and without blaming other people yeah one of one of the things I want to rant about is if you believe digital technology is amazing and it is yeah if you believe it's amazing and bad things happen you have to blame the doctors and nurses 
but a lot of it is caused by the bad computer systems. The lack of interoperability, which is technologies, that causes problems in hospitals. But if you sit around believing that computers are wonderful, you automatically blame the doctors and nurses for the problems, right, yeah. not the computer systems. Okay, we look yeah, forward yeah. To, to reading it. Actually, with the, for the next part, the perfect segue would have been when Harold mentioned the word fantasy. That might have been the part <laughs> ah, to yes. link into the, the next discussion. When you do the editing. Can... I think it's going to take me more than 20 minutes Talking to fantasy. do that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. So, uh, we are... And we're also talking about the English at one stage. <laughs> we were. Yeah, exactly. We were. We did talk about the English. <laughs> Uh, and I'd like to talk about a specific English, Johnny English. Uh, he is a fictional uh, secret agent, and we, we've been to see the new film. Patrick hasn't seen it yet, not. but I think after <laughs> I this, feel like I have. Yeah, after this discussion, <laughs> it's as if you have. Although I would, I would recommend you see it nonetheless. But uh, uh, but it all starts uh, with the the an incident where the secret identities of all of the secret agents are. Compromised. Uh, compromised. So they're leaked. So mm. so they need to find somebody who to sort this out who hasn't been compromised, which is why they get him out oh, okay. of retirement, yeah. right? And it's why he ends up with this massive job in his hands. Um, so so I thought it'd be funny to have a look at to think about some of the attacks that are portrayed in the film and to, to think about to what extent they they you know they may actually happen. You know how far fetched? Just how far fetched are these attacks? Uh, so, so I guess the, the first one is when the identities get exposed. Mm-hmm. Have we had many incidents of secret service uh, personnel's identities being exposed that we can think of? Well, we have, um, but I don't know any of those being exposed through a cyber attack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously lots of theatre in this film, and this is a good way of starting things off. Uh, I would be horrified if our secret service kept its records in a way that could be attacked like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, even if you, you know, went in with tanks into GCHQ, I would be amazed if you found the filing cabinets with the records in mm-hmm. to steal. But I mm-hmm. hope they use much more sensible techniques. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't <laughs> find much along these lines out in the, in the cybersphere. I, I did pick up on a, f- a couple of smaller stories about you know some data being compromised uh, uh, from the military. Uh, there was there was a, an interesting story. I think it was a few months back about um, some military personnel, some U.S. military personnel using their Fitbits. Yeah. In. Um, uh, they were. Okay, I'm not totally sure, but the sort of thing they were doing is they were jogging around an yes. airbase. And, 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 of course, <laughs> when you follow the GPS data from the Fitbit, you can figure out where the O-base is and, right. you know, everything. So a collection of, yeah. of points. You, can, that, you yeah. can find out where they sit down yeah. to eat a meal and where they sleep. You can find out a lot about it from this incidental information. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed, I think last week, uh, it was in the news that the British Army is worried about how fat and obese all of its soldiers are. So they're going to have, it said, Fitbits. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was tempted to point out, well, you know, there's a lot of information Fitbits just sort of leak mm-hmm. that uh, enemies could make good use of. So I hope they're not using Fitbits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we could have an entire podcast about standards for mm-hmm. in- internet well, ho- of Hopefully that, that problem of, of obesity <laughs> doesn't apply to the um, special forces. So. No. Hopefully we can avoid the SAS. <laughs> and one, of, one of the problems is when you buy when you buy a consumer product, let's say a Fitbit or you know, whatever it ends up being, the software in it one day will just you'll discover you know, it doesn't quite do something. It's got a bug in it, or it could have a different feature. So the manufacturers will upgrade the software. That's standard stuff. Mm-hmm. I've got an iWatch on me, and this is running you know, iWatch operating system fifteen or whatever it's got up to. If the manufacturers can upgrade the software, possibly anybody can, mm-hmm. and then you know, anything could happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The so what would we say about that one? Is that uh, I, use the format of another well-known program? Is that myth busted or is yeah, it, is I, it I, confirmed? I think it is. I'd say <laughs> <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> what about a hack of London's traffic light system? In the film, the entire city of London 
is brought to a standstill because every single traffic light turns red. Well, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I would have thought that was actually quite easy. I know, oh, this may well be a myth, but I believe I know that people like ambulances and fire engines can set the traffic lights to go red in every direction. So they can get through. Yeah, so you can, just, that so well. you can shoot for yeah. a junction. Okay. Yeah. So there is a mechanism to make the traffic lights all red, mm. and the fire station can set up a route where all the traffic lights are red. Mm. Okay. So you just pop into, you know, you dress up like a fireman, pop into a fire station, tinker with the things, and say there are fires all over London, and all the junctions go red. <laughs> for my sins, I was on a a motorway um, awareness course last week. So I got caught speeding <laughs> near the airport. I should say, but a very small amount of speed. I was doing 59 and a 50. Maybe it was all about smart motorways. And they were telling us it's essentially where you have those smart motorways and the obvious one is between Bringlass Tunnels and the, mm-hmm. the bridge. That it's, it's, it's take, picking up data all the time. There are control centres, but it's automatically picking up data and it checks the flow of traffic and it'll change the speed limit mm-hmm. according to the flow of traffic. So, you know, if you have that technology, it's not a big leap to imagine that that system was hacked. But you, you could do that. So if you can do that with the smart motorways, I presume you can do it with yeah, traffic lights as well. And insiders can do all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah that's the other issue. But the, the, they've missed a trick with that one. I would set them all on green. Because <laughs> that would cause more disruption because all the cars would be crashing into each other. Yeah. Yeah, I've got right away. Like, yeah. Green. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Uh, there, was a, there was a story about um, a, a city in the Netherlands. Is it Tilburg? Yes, it is Tilburg. Where they actually have, uh, they gave some elderly people an app, a special app on their phones that enabled them to control the, the traffic lights so they, mm. they'd have more time to cross the road so you know these, these things the traffic lights are definitely communicating with mm. other devices mm. do you think that one's plausible i think so mm. yeah the next one was the uh, a hack of the london eye <laughs> the london eye is hacked and it's i think it speeds up quite a lot uh-huh. and everyone is you know panicking does it break <laughs> off and roll down the tens <laughs> no, no it doesn't <laughs> imagine that thing is connected to the internet anyway. well i think that would be good actually because i've been on the london eye and i found it one of the most boring experiences of my life <laughs> you, wanted, you wanted to be speed <laughs> yeah so the extra speed would have been a good thing <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah um i, I can't I suspect it would be the, the motors would be unable oh, to speed up okay because they would be designed very carefully to make it run and not run away with itself or mm. something like if there's a power cut you don't want it to run away with itself. There will, there will be lots of things, mm-hmm. mechanical things, that would make it run at the right speed. But there'll be lots of sensors tracking how many people get on and off, and which, whatever those things are called, those uh, pods, ca- pods, pods yeah. <laughs> keeping track of where they are, and there's somebody up there, and they yeah. haven't come down yet. Uh, you could easily get it to stop with uh, an empty pod locked in the wrong place, and people stuck all the way around, mm. and it sort of it not turning. Yeah. I think would be a Stop worse problem. It. Okay, mm. so that mm. okay. Okay, uh, we've got... It sounds like they should have employed us as consultants before they... But <laughs> 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 this, is, this has got to be filmic. On a film, the London Eye not working is probably what it looks like most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not yeah, filmic, it's but spinning dangerously yeah. is, is, yeah, is yeah, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, spoiler alert, you know, if you're going to see the film, I'm going to spoil it for you. But it turns out that behind all of this is this kind of super big tech mastermind you know some good looking american young man uh who... he's based on anyone in i i who knows <laughs> i have no idea who they base that on but has he's he got a, hair a silicon he's got hair okay so yeah. it's not jeff bezos then we can rule him <laughs> <laughs> silicon valley billionaire who oh, okay. has you know who's behind That's all interesting. of interesting if, if if he had been a woman there would have been fewer people and it would have got more tricky Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so the whole thing is he's he's trying to uh, ah important detail. <laughs> All of this is controlled not so much by him but by a super artificial super, intelligence super, super computer, computer on his ship. Yeah, <laughs> on a ship exactly. No. How how about that? Can you? Well, <laughs> uh, do, 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 do. <laughs> 
Um, putting it on a ship makes it a nice target for a ballistic missile. Exactly, because nobody's going to get hurt. This, However... is an, this is an absolutely crazy way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, of all things, if you want to connect to the internet, you would go for fibre optic cables or satellite links or something, and being on a ship makes your life difficult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. So there are various sort of filmic ways you might want to do it. You know, submarine going for you know transatlantic internet cables, that would be one idea. Another would be when the cables come on land in wherever they do, in yeah. Penzance or something. Mm-hmm. That's, that would be a great place. You'd, you'd drive a car into it and sort it out. That would knock out, do more damage than yeah. a, a floating... Supercomputer. <laughs> as you said, but, it seems to be the only feasible target in terms of the film. Yes. So you could blow it up without causing. But you've got to, like most things, you've got to balance the technical details, and a lot of those are up for grabs. Mm. You know, there's, there's trade-offs, and making it a fun film. Mm. Yeah. They like Star Trek's fun, but the technology doesn't work. So <laughs> we all know that, yeah. but you go along with it. It's not, that's not the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the the dot com. Nearly brings down. Uh, well, it turns it turns off the internet at one point. Oh. That that's his. He gets all these. Presumably, work. there's a button somewhere that just needs to be pressed. It, it shuts the internet off. He didn't even have to press a button. He, he just told you know. He said uh, they're all they're all what look like suspiciously look like iPads. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's got the world leaders in in a room in Scotland, and they're all signing, and like when they're all signed, don't the lights go out? Yeah, is it like, before or, that? I think or something? But like, I thought if the internet's gone down, what would happen is you can't switch the lights out. Mm-hmm. Not that they go out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. But again, if the lights stay on, that's not. It's not. That's not good film. Cinematic, <laughs> cinema, so cinematic. If the lights were starting flashing, that would be better. But yeah. Ah <laughs> uh, dear. So the the whole resolution in the end is is when he makes he he goes outside to call his superiors. And accidentally interferes with the launching codes of the submarine. This is when Johnny English goes it, Johnny, outside. Johnny English goes outside, yeah. And and uh, he he basically launches the missile, and the missile happens to fall exactly on the supercomputer. No, you must admit. Did I earlier in the film? Johnny English and his friend Both leave a tube. <laughs> <laughs> they leave a tube of sherbet oh, in, the, yes. in the server, yes. and the. Tube of sherbet has got some transmitter in it because it has a suck on the sherbet That's three it. times, which initialises it, it and right. then sticks it down, and it looks like a tube of sherbet. And the missile goes for the tube of sherbet. Yeah, oh, see, it, you don't it, pay it, attention. Exactly. Oh, it wasn't, yeah, that makes it far it more plausible. Bad, no, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just it Very concerned about state state actors, right? Mm. Hacking mm. the defense systems and, and and launching these weapons. So this isn't totally um, out of kilt with stuff that's been in the news recently. So. No, um, a tube of sherbet's bigger. <laughs> well, yeah. a decent tube of sherbet's bigger than my iPhone, and my iPhone can connect to the internet and it can do anything and yeah. it can set off bombs and you name it. So a tube of sherbet's totally plausible. Mm-hmm. However, it's inside a metal boat which should have had you know, various countermeasures all around it. So the fact that it works is implausible. Yeah. yeah. If it possibly and he, he leaves it in the server room, which is sort of right in the middle. If he'd left it you know, if he chucked it in the funnel, yeah. th- there's unlikely to be any sort of electronic countermeasures in the navy boat, I'm sure they're they're all over the place. But if it was outside, then it's more likely the missile would have detected it. But, that, but again, that's a detail. <laughs> yes. It's like, you, know, you can't quibble about a joke, you just laugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did laugh particularly at the end when he, he takes down this, this uh, uh, billionaire by kind of boomeranging a, an iPad look looking thing mm. um, that, that knocks him out. Mm. He's about to escape onto a helicopter oh, okay. and Johnny English just sort of throws this iPad. Isn't um, the conversation that... Uh, <laughs> I've forgotten what the the sort of Mark Zuckerberg character 
Uh, <laughs> allegedly. Johnny English is playing with this iPad-like gadget and whatever the high-tech person is saying, so you'll never stop me with that because... And then he throws it at oh, him okay. and knocks him out. So he stops him that way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there we go. That was Johnny English. Because well, I know we need to weaponize IT, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> to join things together. And Johnny English is, is great fun, and particularly if you're not very critical about it. Uh, but it ought to make everybody in healthcare think about cybersecurity and, you know, we really don't want to be bumbling Johnny Englishes. We need to get our act together. Mm. And the trouble is, state actors in, who knows, other countries, uh, you only need one person to be ahead of us, and they're stuffed. Mm. We've got to be really clued up on this. So Johnny English makes it great fun, but actually, I mean, some of the Johnny English thing is mad, but <laughs> some of it is potentially scary. Mm. <laughs> Well, that's a nice way to tie up two stories that I didn't think could be tied up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we usually end the podcast with what we like to call free advertising. Uh, so if you have any... Well... You've already had a plan for the box. Do you want to have another go? When's it available? If, in if, all good box shops. Well, I'm, I've drafted it and it's ready for shipping and I'm sending it out to publishers and agents to see who bites. So, um, as I say, I might self-publish it. That's another possibility. There are all sorts of things to think about, mm-hmm. or I could serialise it and you know make a film. Uh, so at the moment, franchise even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of us to stay sane, we have to believe in doing something useful. Um, I've seen books like Ralph Nader's Unsafe at Any Speed, which transformed the car industry from a rather dangerous thing into the safe thing. Like when you buy a car now, it'll have an airbag. It is, they're pretty safe things, and road accidents are decreasing. He, unsafe at Any Speed transformed our awareness of the dangers of unsafe cars to us demanding safe cars. Mm-hmm. So in my good moods, I think I'm writing the digital healthcare version of Unsafe at Any Speed. Mm-hmm. I... I am going to transform healthcare from accepting any old rubbish digital stuff because it's exciting. Got sh- shiny edges, just mm-hmm. like you know, nineteen fifties cars, to ones that have got airbags in that are safe. Mm-hmm. That's my advert. Fabulous. Have you got any? I haven't got anything this month. Fab. I think I will leave it there as well. Um, I hope our listeners enjoyed this episode. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can leave us a review. We hope to come back in about a month's time uh but in the meantime you <laughs> can also follow us on twitter and uh prof Simbleby's work you can have a look on his website it's www.harold.simbleby that's t-h-i-m-b-l-e-b-y.net yeah it's it's the same as dimbleby but better <laughs> <laughs> That was slightly less famous brother as well. See you next time. Bye. Running over so much. I mean, this is this tenth episode is going to be the longest ever. Well, you can uh, split, it, split it into two parts. No, what I find is, I was asked to write an eight hundred word essay, and I got carried away and wrote two thousand four hundred words. But cutting it down to eight hundred um, improved it enormously. Okay, so you're saying I should go and yeah, listen back to this cut, carefully. Cut, cut, out, <laughs> cut, cut out the crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a two-minute podcast. <laughs> no, Hello, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, it hadn't happened yet. No. Uh, I thought I'd be safe. I'll just leave it in because you complained last time I answered. <laughs> and you put in the outtakes in the end. Is that? Mm. Katie, Katie Morgan again, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Last time that happened, I answered the phone and said, I'm in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> and then I said, oh, I said oh, stro- what did I say? Stroppy Mare or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he said something. <laughs> and then Sarah okay. put in the outtakes at the end of the 
of the podcast. I didn't yeah. think you I, said I, it in a, in a, I did in a, a caring I way. I did a TED talk and my, <laughs> and my phone rang. I uh, oh, thought I'd turn it off. It's my wife. It must be important. She knows I'm giving a TED talk. Excuse me. How's my TED talk going? <laughs> <laughs> no, how did it go? Because I, I'd been delayed 10 minutes or something. Oh, so right. she thought I'd finish. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 